Scott Derrickson has quit Doctor Strange 2, Joaquin Phoenix won the Best Actor Award at the Golden Globes, and Ricky Gervais gave Hollywood's biggest celebrities a bit of a telling off. Plus, I review Sam Mendes' 1917, Taika Waititi's Jojo Rabbit, and I do my best and worst film and TV show lists of 2019. So sit back and enjoy this very first episode of Small Screen Stories in 2020. Hello and welcome back to Small Screen Stories. This is the podcast where I go through all the news of the week in the world of entertainment and pop culture and I also review some stuff now and again. So let's get started and I'm going to get started with the trailers. As I mentioned, well actually I didn't mention this earlier, but Birds of Prey has a new trailer. It's the second trailer for this film which features Margot Robbie and a collection, well back is Harley Quinn, she played Harley Quinn in Suicide Squad and she's joined by a collection of other female, well I w- wouldn't go as far as calling them heroes but they are DC Comics characters and there's no more Joker, they make that very clear in this trailer. Mr. J is in the past. Apparently Harley's gotten over him pretty quickly. They made this very clear, and it's obviously because people didn't really uh, react very well to Jared Leto as the Joker in Suicide Squad, so they're making it very clear he's not in this film. But instead, we have Ewan McGregor that's in this movie. He's playing Black Mask, and she's joined by an incredible collection of, uh, of actors and characters. So we have Mary Elizabeth Winstead as Huntress, Journey uh, Smollett-Bell as Black Canary, Rosie Perez as Rene Montoya, Chris, uh, Chris Messina as Victor Zaz, and Ewan McGregor as, as I said before, Black Mask. We also have uh, Ella, sorry, Ella J. Basco as uh, Cassandra Kane, and this is her debut feature. This is a very, to me, it seems like quite a, a weird movie, but an interesting, it's an interesting premise for a film. Uh, to use its full title, which is absolutely insane, it's um, Harley Quinn. Uh, I've got the Harley Quinn and the Fantabulous Emancipation. No, Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn. That's its official title. It's mad. It looks mad. It looks great. Um, I'm I'm excited to see this. I wasn't too sure about the first trailer. It didn't get me really in the mood to see it, but this second one really, really does. Other trailers that came out this week. Um, so I'm going through this quickly because we've got a lot of news to go through this week. So A Quiet Place Part 2's trailer has landed and it looks scary. It looks like a very good continuation from the first uh, Quiet, A Quiet Place film, which was kind of the surprise hit of the year. Uh, It came out, I think it was in 2018. Yeah, it was in 2018. It's uh, directed by John Krasinski, who's, of course, uh, Emily Blunt's husband. Emily Blunt is back in this this film as Evelyn Abbott. Uh, John Krasinski won't be appearing in this movie. If you've watched the first movie, you'll understand why. But... um, it's. It looks like it's going to be, it is a kind of direct continuation from the first film, so I think it starts almost exactly where the first film ended, and uh, and it's something that, I, I'm, I'm really excited to see this. The first film was a hit, a surprise hit, and that in itself was an incredible feat, because it was made for very little money, Krasinski directed it, he also helped write it, and Paramount Pictures really, you know, they didn't daddle on this one, they got it, they got the sequel kind of greenlit as quickly as possible and now a couple years later it's coming out and the trailer makes it look pretty damn awesome please check out that trailer you can check it out on small screen right now then a very strange trailer came out and again more kind of in the horror element of things but this one was the new mutants trailer it's back 
New Mutants is <laughs> it's come back from the dead, and we've got a brand new, uh, very creepy trailer. And this one gives us a bit more. Seems as though it gives us a bit more plot. Uh, we, I'm still not in. I mean, it looks like it's just going to be kind of a more haunted house type movie. But uh, it's it's interesting. It looks interesting. You've got uh, a very good cast, a very good and young cast, and um, and I'm I'm pretty excited to see. It. I think it's probably been uh, edited and re-edited within an inch of its life, because of course Disney didn't want to release it because they weren't very happy with it. They didn't think it was good enough after Disney acquired Fox. So this means that um, we're probably not going to get the original film that the that that the director. Boone, Josh Boone wanted. He was talking to begin with about wanting a film which was a bit more like A Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors, which is um, actually a really good horror film. If you can go and check that out, it's really good. You can still kind of see those new those uh, Nightmare on Elm Street vibes in this trailer. There's the, the walls moving, the kind of rubbery type walls, which was seen in the Nightmare on Elm Street movies. Uh, there's, there's the haunted house aspect of it. And then factor that, that with the mutants and the, the powers and you don't really know what's going on. They seem to be chased by a lot of things and there's a lot of spooky stuff going on in this um, what is essentially a prison or asylum for young mutants that aren't able to control their powers. I, I'm going to say I'm quite interested in this movie. I'm happy it's coming out. It's coming out on April 3rd, which is crazy to me that it's coming out at all. I'm really happy that it is. I thought that Disney might just release it on Disney+, Plus, but no, it looks like they're giving it a, a cinema release, which uh, I'm looking forward to. They also confirmed that uh, this film does take place in the MCU, which is crazy. It's, um, it's something that I really wasn't expecting. But yeah, that that was confirmed uh, later this week. I haven't actually got the article up on the site yet because it was actually confirmed, I think, last night. But uh, that was, yeah, a bit of bit, some weird news for you. Other trailer news is that Morbius's first trailer is arriving this Monday. So ne- literally in a couple of days from now, we're going to be seeing the very first trailer for Sony Pictures' Morbius film, which is um, it's a film starring Jared Leto as Morbius. Uh, who is Morbius the Living Vampire from the Spider-Man comics. If you int- well, if you have heard of this character before, you'll know all about him. He's, uh, he's a scientist with a rare blood disease, tries to save himself and ends up kind of turning himself into a vampire. And, uh, and he's often in the Spider-Man comics. He was also, I know more from the Spider-Man animated series. He's kind of, he's a villain, but he often kind of ends up helping Spider-Man and uh, is kind of more of a tragic character than anything else. And uh, this, this, the first trailer is is coming. I'm surprised by how soon it's coming, but actually the film's coming up pretty soon as well. So the film's going to be hitting at least cinemas here in the UK on July 31st, so 2020. That's this year. It's directed by Daniel Espinosa, who directed Life, which wasn't very good, Child 44, which was fine, and Safe House, which was fine as well. Uh, and uh, it's you know he's he's a perfectly serviceable director and. Um, I'm excited to see Jared Leto in this role because I think he's perfect casting for Morbius and he's also, you've got like Matt Smith in this movie as well. Apparently uh, J.K. Simmons is going to be turning up as J. Jen Jameson. So it looks like there's a there's an interesting cast. It's an interesting film. It's going to kind of, it's going to be a continuation of Sony's kind of Spider-Verse, for lack of a better term. I'm calling it the Spider-Man Cinematic Universe uh, it, apparently it is connected to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but only loosely. So we're probably going to see Spider-Man in some of these movies, maybe Venom 2, maybe Tom Hardy's uh, Venom will turn up in in, in Morbius. They're gonna they're gonna milk this as much as they can. the The final trailer that we got this week was uh, for Netflix's uh, Lock and Key, 
which is uh, it's based on a, a, a graphic novel uh, by uh, Stephen King's son Joe Hill, and um, and this this again I watched the trailer and the first thing that came to my in, into my head I haven't read the the bear in mind I haven't read the the graphic novels or the, the comic books the first thing that came into my head was this looks like a kind of childish well not a childish version but like a a more um, kind of toned down version of the haunting of Hill House which was uh, the Mike Flanagan series from a couple of years ago, Netflix series as well. Uh, it's got that kind of, again, the haunted house vibe. There's a lot of that going on this year. And uh, two, the, a family come back to a their father's kind of family home and they find out that there are all these doors that are locked and they've got to find these keys to open them. Yeah, if you watch the trailer, you can really, uh, really see that um, <laughs> there's something going on here and... And it's giving. It definitely gives me the Haunting of Hill House vibes, which I loved. And I'm all for a slightly younger version of that anyway. I don't think that's a bad thing at all. Anyway, moving on to movie news. So no more trailers. That's trailers done. And this is, the I think, the biggest news of the week. And uh, actually really surprising. There was a lot of surprising news to come out this week. Is that Scott Derrickson, director of uh, Doctor Strange, and he was going to write and direct Doctor Strange 2. He's quit. Um, he's quit the movie. He uh, cited creative differences as the, with Marvel Studios as the reason for leaving. So he actually posted a tweet in which he said this. He said, uh, Marvel and I have mutually agreed to part ways on Doctor Strange in the multiverse of madness due to creative differences. I'm thankful for our collaboration and will, will, uh, will remain on as EP. So he'll remain on as the executive, executive producer of this film. Whether or not they're going to keep his script, I don't know. But what I do know for a fact is that he wanted to make a horror film. And I think this is where it went wrong. I think um, Kevin Feige and Marvel Studios, they were a bit worried about that. They didn't want to make a straight horror movie. They don't want to make a straight horror movie because they know if they do something like that, then it risks the PG-13 or over here, I suppose, 12 certificate that they have with these movies that they get regularly with these movies. It means that they get a wider audience, more people can see it. And if they make a, a, a straight horror movie, they're probably going to have to have a rate, not not maybe maybe not rated R. I don't know how it works in America. I think it, I think it probably would be rated R, but over here it'd be 15. And they don't want to do that because a lot of their audience, they have quite a young audience anyway. And uh, and it really doing that sort of thing would really cut their revenue basically in half. So it makes sense why they didn't want to do it, but it also shows kind of a lack of vision, I think, from um, on Marvel's behalf because, you know, we've got to a point now, especially after Avengers Endgame, where Marvel's at a crossroads. Marvel Studios is at a crossroads. How do they keep people interested in these movies? How do they make sure that they keep on making films that people want to go and see and... The problem I have with the MCU at the moment, especially with quite a few of the last, not so much with like Thor Ragnarok and some of the Guardians movies, but some of the other films, they, they're starting to feel very similar. Maybe one of the reasons is because the Russo brothers have been directing so many of these movies, but you can look, they're claiming that a lot of their films are kind of genre films, they're not. They're, they're genre inspired, you know, you can, you can claim that The Winter Soldier is kind of a, almost like a spy thriller like a Cold War kind of spy thriller. They're doing the same... It looks like they're going to be doing the same thing with uh, Black Widow, which looks more like a spy movie. Um, but 
they're they're still firmly set in the MCU. They're still that you can still feel that DNA there, and I suppose that's important to keep. But I do think, and I wrote a, an article about this um, on the site. There's a feature on it. I, I I am a bit worried about the future of the MCU because if they don't start changing things up a bit, if they don't start thinking, I know this, this is a massive cliche, but if they don't start thinking outside the box then they're really, um, they're really in a position where they might end up becoming very stale. And I've already heard people saying this about the MCU. I mean, already it's been going on for so long, so many movies, but kind of spanning over a decade now. Um, but there is a, a danger that these films, they start becoming very similar and people can't start differentiating between movies. If they were to make a more straight horror movie with Doctor Strange, which actually makes a lot of sense uh, to me, um, I think that would have been the start of something quite interesting as far as the MCU is concerned. But the fact they've done this obviously means that they they want scary scenes, in quotation marks, but they don't want it to be a straight horror. Anyway, moving away from Doctor Strange and on to Deadpool 3. Deadpool 3 is officially now develop, being developed by Marvel Studios, and this has been confirmed by Ryan Reynolds, who, um, who said so in an interview. He said that they're playing with the big boys now, which... Um, you know, they're, they're, they're playing in the big leagues and he spoke about how crazy that is. So, I mean, the fact the fact that Marvel Studios, that they're, they're working on this is quite big as well because this is an R-rated film. But then again, Deadpool is kind of operating in his own universe. It's not part of the MCU, so it's slightly different to what I was talking about before. It's that um, they can allow themselves to do this because they know how popular Deadpool is. They know they can give the movies a slightly lower budget but still make quite a, a lot of money back because the first two films made a lot of money. So, I mean, it's not surprising, is it? Anyway, uh, apparently Daniel Radcliffe is in talks to start as Marvel's Moon Knight series on <laughs> Disney+. Plus. Now, this is very strange. I'm going to be honest with you. My knowledge of Moonlight is very limited. I didn't read the comics growing up. Um, to me, I, I read up about it and it seems like he's a kind of Marvel's answer to Batman, but more mystical. Uh, it's all to do with a suit that he finds that, you know, and it's it's to do with uh, the character that, uh, that that apparently Radcliffe is, uh, he's apparently in contention to play the lead, which is Moon Knight. And, you know, he's a, he's a scientist and he finds a suit and so he kind of sees himself being shot. You know, there's all this, um, there's, there's a, a time travel element to this as well. Uh, I'm actually really excited to see this um, Disney Plus series because it sounds very different to everything else that Marvel has made. And I think these Marvel Disney Plus series actually are the things that are going to really jettison the MCU forward. Because as far as the movies are concerned, they've kind of reached a, a pinnacle with Avengers Endgame, but they can start exploring slightly different things within the Disney Plus kind of TV realm. And you know Daniel Radcliffe as as Moon Knight is would be brave casting. Um, if if it is true, uh, he's obviously if if he's in contention, it means that somebody thinks he'd be, he'd make a good uh, good Moon Knight, and he's probably auditioned for it, and he probably was very good in the audition. More uh, casting rumors is that Christian Bale might play a key role in Taika Waititi's Thor: Love and Thunder. So it's actually believed that Christian Bale could be up for the villain. In the movie, and the reason why he wants to come back to big Hollywood um, superhero blockbusters is because he really wants to work with Taika Waititi, which isn't surprising considering uh, how brilliant a lot of his stuff has been recently. I'm going to talk about Jojo Rabbit in a bit. It's a fantastic movie, 
But uh, a lot of people want to work with him. And the fact that he's uh, directing Marvel movies means that we're probably going to see a lot more uh, kind of big names like Christian Bale that are more associated with being in more kind of, in quotation marks, serious movies. Um, I mean, the fact that you've got uh, Natalie Portman coming back in this movie is testament to that alone, that of Taika Waititi's pull. And the same could probably be said about directors like James Gunn. People really want to work with these people. It sounds like they have a fun atmosphere on set. And um, <laughs> if I was an actor, I'd definitely want to work with Taika and James Gunn. <sighs> so... More Marvel news. There's a lot of it this week. This will be the last bit of Marvel news is that Tom Hiddleston is apparently going to be replaced in the MCU with a new kid, Loki. Now, please take this with a pinch of salt because it comes from some not so reputable sources. Let's just leave it at that. But um, yeah, there are rumors now that basically in the Loki Disney Plus TV show, we're going to get rid of Loki or, or have a kind of passing of the torch from Loki onto a younger version of Loki. Personally, I hope this does not happen because I think it'd be <laughs> a terribly stupid idea. If it's not Tom Hiddleston playing Loki, then nobody should play Loki. Basically, that Hiddleston's made that role his own. I'm not, you know, I'm not the biggest fan of his, but I think he's very, very good in that role, and I don't think anybody else could play him. And I think if you're going to have the Loki TV series, maybe just leave it at that and don't have Loki back in the um, in the MCU for a while. You know, it's. He's he's done his time, let's just say that, and uh, and I think the character's kind of run its course as well, especially with this uh, Disney Plus TV show coming up. We're probably going to get a kind of nice ending to the character, let's say. Anyway, let's move away from Marvel news and on to actually DC Comics news. So, um, the, the Matt Reeves' Batman movie, The Batman, is currently filming in London right now. And uh, someone took some pictures of them filming on the um, on the set and uh, at the moment it's being filmed in London and uh, and they're filming I think it's around Victoria Park I'm not so sure but um they took someone took a snap of an actor that looks very similar to Colin Farrell and people have suggested that this is Colin Farrell as the penguin and his penguin looks more like a kind of quite dapper um banker more than anything he doesn't look like the uh, stereotypical penguin we've come to get used to over the years you know he's not like the penguin from the comic books from the the cartoons from the movies he's not like Danny DeVito's penguin let's say that he's a much more upright um presentable type character at least if this particular actor was indeed Colin Farrell we don't know it's highly pixelated but it does look like it, it was him uh moving away from that and on to the awards so I'm pretty sure everyone's seen this Joaquin Phoenix won best actor at the Golden Globes for Joker and uh, he delivered quite an interesting speech uh, in which uh, it was kind of rambly and apparently heavily, well, it was heavily um, censored because he used a lot of swear words. But uh, he, you know, he thanked everybody. He thanked uh, Todd Phillips. He apologized because apparently he was very difficult to work with on set. And, uh, and he also addressed the current uh, climate crisis. And he paid a lovely tribute to uh, his fellow nominees and also thanked his fiance Rooney Mara. And, it, you know, him winning wasn't really a surprise. Uh, his performance in the movie is sensational. It is, uh, it is awards-worthy, definitely. And he becomes the second actor to win a major award for playing uh, the Joker, which is nice for him. Uh, moving away from uh, Whacking Phoenix and the Joker and on to Wonder Woman, Wonder Woman. And it could be, it's been rumoured that Wonder Woman 3 could be the last time we get to see Gal Gadot play diana prince in a solo movie and that is really really not surprising considering 
it would have been if if they do make Wonder Woman three, and that already is a big if, you know, because first of all, Wonder Woman nineteen eighty four has got to perform well at the box office and with critics for them to greenlight a third movie. But if they do, that would mean that she's played Wonder Woman in Batman versus Superman, Justice League, Wonder Woman, Wonder Woman nineteen eighty four, and then Wonder Woman three. So that's five times playing the role. That's a lot, and uh, and it also. There have been basically Patty Jenkins has said she only wants to make if she makes another one she just wants to make one more and that's it. So that's a trilogy and that's as much as you're going to get and that's good. Uh, it's not a bad thing, you know. And uh, five movies is a very good stint for someone to play this role for so long. It's um, and also so well. And if if the movies are, I I actually do believe that Wonder Woman 1984 is going to be very good. And if it is as I believe, then it would mean that she's played. Wonder Woman perfectly in every film she's been in. So this I'm going to move away from Wonder Woman and on to The Flash. So there have been rumours that Matthew McConaughey is up for the role of Reverse Flash in The Flash movie, which apparently now is being directed by Andy Muschietti, who's the director of It and It Chapter 2, and it will star Ezra Miller as The Flash. So this film's been in development hell, let's say that. And then now, uh, the, the, there are rumours now circling the internet that uh, that Matthew McConaughey is up for Reverse Flash. And I think that would be great casting, actually. You know, uh, I've, I, I think uh, he has the right kind of swagger to play this role. Eobard Thorne is the, the, probably the version of Reverse Flash they're going to use. He's... Um, he's quite a... He's, he's a character that's able to kind of bring people in. And, and, and I mean, if you know the Flash TV series, you know that actually... Uh, uh, um, sorry, Barry Allen was was uh, friends with uh, with Reverse Flash before realizing who he really was. You know, and um, there's a whole reason why that is. But he's kind of he's quite he's meant to be quite charming, and he's someone that you actually want to like. And I think Matthew McConaughey would be perfect for that role. Other potential casting news is that um, Good Omens is Michael Sheen is being um, is being eyed to play Lucifer in the DCU. Now I know. <laughs> A lot of Lucifer fans out there, and I know that um, they would be very upset with this because they will be like, well, why don't you just cast Tom Ellis? Um, there are reasons why they won't do that. First off, they don't do that. They don't cast um, the TV actors in the movies. Um, we've seen that with uh, Grant Gustin. You know, he's not the Flash in the DCU. It's Ezra Miller. And it makes sense, I'm going to be honest, that there are reasons why you won't choose an actor like Tom Ellis to play a character like Lucifer in a big blockbuster movie that's not you know no um i think tom ellis is, is great in the role but i also think there are there are areas in which um his performances that they, they, they do come off as being televisual whereas michael sheen is one of these actors that really has a gravitas to him that i don't think tom ellis quite has again i i really want to stress i do think tom ellis is great in the role and i think he's perfect in the tv show on netflix but I don't think if you, I don't think he translate very well as he is now, you know, on the big screen. I think it would come off as being like, oh, it's the guy from the TV show. Whereas Michael Sheen would bring. I mean, we've seen him do these types of characters before, and he's done. He does them very well. I'm thinking of him in the Twilight movies, where he plays like that evil vampire that his name escapes me at the moment. But he's great in that role, and he's he's like he's brilliant. Uh, he's shown over the years how fantastic he is on the big screen in films like The Damned United he was in Frost uh, Frost Nixon yeah he was fantastic in that he was in The Queen where he played Tony Blair and he was brilliant 
he's a very good actor and he's also really good in good omens as well as the kind of angelic character in that and maybe maybe this is a, a rumor because someone saw good omens and thought oh you know Michael Sheen wouldn't wouldn't be bad as Lucifer. In that case, why not just cast David Tennant? Actually, David Tennant would probably make quite a good Lucifer as well. So that, let's move away from the uh, from the superhero news and onto the just movie news in general. So um, it's Chapter Two's director Andy Muschietti. I spoke about him before. Apparently, he wants to direct an It's Chapter Three. Now, this um, honestly, I don't know how the hell he could do this because. Uh, he's first of all he's had two movies to tell Stephen King's story I think that's enough secondly there's not much more story to tell really um, thirdly It Chapter 2 wasn't very good at least I didn't think so and uh, and I don't think he should make a third but anyway he was talking to io9 about this and they asked him whether he'd be up for doing it and maybe making a third film and he said there's a whole mythology to the book. Mythology is something that always has opportunities to explore. It has been on Earth for millions of years. It, as in Pennywise. He's in contact with humans for hundreds of years, every 27 years. So you can imagine the amount of material. It's always exciting to think of eventually exploring this mythology. It's very exciting, but for now, there's nothing on the table. So he's basically saying that he would love to do it, but um, I don't think Warner Brothers will kind of is that interested in it at the moment. It Chapter 2 didn't do particularly well at the box office, especially when you compare it to um, the box office takings of the first movie. So it would be a case of, uh, you know, the third film will not do as well as the first two. You you just know that. I mean, it, the fact that It Chapter 2 didn't do as well as the first one, despite having a ridiculous cast, you know, you had, uh, you had the likes of James McAvoy, you had Jessica Chastain, you had Bill Hader, you know, he had Bill Skarsgård back. That's a fantastic cast, and it didn't do as well. The reason it didn't do as well was because it wasn't as good. Anyway, um, Andy Muschietti, more Andy Muschietti news, there's a lot of it this week, uh, is also he's also been revealed to be in early talks with Netflix to direct The Howling. So The Howling is a book from, it was from 1977. It's a, it's a horror book. It was also made into a movie in 1981, and that movie was directed by Joe Dante. Um... It's, uh, the, the author of the of the original book is Gary Bradner, and it's it's a really good book. So if you have the the chance, if you like horror, again, if you like horror, read the book, watch the movie. Netflix has acquired the rights, the movie rights, and they want to make it, and they want to make it pretty quickly. And basically, this, this was um, originally uh, reported by that the hashtag show, which I'm never quite sure about, but then it was. Um, it was then confirmed by Collider, by Jeff Snyder on Collider, and I kind of have a bit more um, trust in Collider. Anyway, um, and I'm pretty sure this is... Uh, it's very. They say it's very early discussions, but I'm pretty sure they're going to do it. Although Muschietti's got a lot on his table at the moment, especially with the fact that he's currently um, developing The Flash. So this will probably end up being after The Flash. So we're looking at maybe three to four years' time. Which Netflix might want this to be um, on on their streaming service as quickly as possible, so they might end up going with somebody completely different. One person they might go with is Mike Flanagan, who is the director of Doctor Sleep, and he's revealed that he's going to release a three-hour-long director's cut of Doctor Sleep, which is ludicrous. First off, that film is so long, it doesn't need to be any longer. Secondly, I know there are people out there that liked it, but... uh, extending its length isn't going to make it any better 
um, if they wanted to make uh, a proper version of the book, the Stephen King's book, they would have turned it into a TV series, but they didn't. They turned it into a very long uh, movie. And I don't think they should do this, but they're, they're doing it anyway. Uh, moving away from uh, from horror uh, and on to Bright. So apparently, according to David Ayer, Bright 2 is still in the works. Um, yeah, remember that? Bright 2? Bright, the first one, that Netflix film that did, apparently, according to Netflix, very well. But it was rubbish. It, it was genuinely rubbish. And they then greenlit a sequel, but we haven't heard anything about it for ages. And anyway, um, so... David A was at uh, TCA this week, and this was reported by comicbook.com, who were there as well. And they he was asked about Bright 2, and he said, it's still in development, we're looking onto it, so hopefully we're able to mount that up soon. It's a great opportunity for all of us to explore the world more. I think people felt like there was a lot of doorways to explore. People were like, tell us about the dragon, tell us about this, the history. So it's a very rich world, and I think we're going to drill down some more. So... It sounds like they're. Um, it sounds like they're still writing this thing, which is crazy to me. Um, because to be honest, he talks about law, but the law in the first Bright movie was all over the place. It didn't make sense. Um, it's like they were referencing things that were, that in our world, you know, as like pop culture references, and this is a world of like fairies and orcs and dragons, and it just didn't make any sense at all. I would say Netflix bin this really just get rid of it it doesn't it doesn't need to be made it really does not need to be made anyway moving away from netflix stuff and on to mission impossible 7 so mission impossible 7 which is being directed by christopher mcquarrie is has just added nicholas holt to its cast nicholas holt you might know from films like uh well he was originally in about a boy as a, as a very young kid and uh and he's uh moved on from about a boy and he's been in uh, in films like so most recently, he was in Mad Max Fury Road, which was really good. He was in, um, he's he's been in loads of stuff. He was, uh, of course, in the X-Men films more recently. Uh, he's, he's a very good actor that hasn't really been given his shot in a big Hollywood blockbuster yet. And that's a shame because he's someone that I think would really, really excel. He, he was up for the role of Batman, apparently, before uh, Robert Pattinson was given that you know given that massive role so i'm glad that he's moved on from that and has been now cast in mission impossible 7 and it sounds like he's going to be the villain in this film which i'm excited to see anyway moving away from mission impossible 7 and on to star trek 4 director noah hawley so he's the guy that made um basically the showrunner and creator of shows like fargo and legion which are fantastic should really watch them if you haven't yet. Um, he's been talking about Star Trek Four because, of course, he's the director and writer of that now. And he said, I have my own take on Star Trek. Star, Star Trek is about exploration and humanity at its best and diversity and creative problem solving. For me, it's about getting to those elements of the show. I don't necessarily find action in itself interesting unless it's story. So it's early days. I'm still t talking with Paramount and I have a take and I've got to write a script. So he's, he's writing it. And it sounds to me like this might be just a straight reboot of the Star Trek franchise, which means the likes of uh, Chris Pine, uh, you know, all, all those... Uh, Zachary Quinto, Zoe Zaldana, even Simon Pegg might not be returning in this next Star Trek film, which to me sounds like madness. 
but again, maybe Star Trek Beyond kind of it was. I really enjoyed it, but it did show that this franchise is in need of a bit of a reboot. So maybe Noah Hawley is the person to take that forward. Anyway, that's the end of the movie section. Moving on to TV shows. So apparently, according to uh, Netflix, the Umbrella, the Umbrella Academy season one was one of its most watched TV shows in 2019. So they um, they do this every year. At the end of the year, they just release... Um, <laughs> they they do what we watched in 2019. kind of, And they post, they post it on Twitter this year. And they, they, they post their 10 most popular um, releases. So they tend to do it by country. So this is um, the United States. And this is TV shows and movies together. So they revealed that Murder Mystery was number one. Stranger Things Season 3 was number two. Six Underground was number three. The Incredibles 2 was number four. The Irishman was number five. The Witcher, yeah, that's again, The Witcher was one of the most watched TV shows of 2019, despite only being out for six days or 10 days, I think it was. Uh, anyway, that's that's crazy. It was number six. Triple Frontier was number seven. Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil and Vile was number eight. And The Umbrella Academy was number nine. Number 10 was The Highwayman. That is really good. The fact that The Umbrella Academy is in the top 10 in the United States is it just proves to me that this show uh, is hopefully going to carry on for quite a few seasons. Now, again, this is more TV news, and I wrote an article about this. The Witcher being in the top 10 most watched releases of 2019 is, frankly put, insane. And I looked into this, and there's a reason why they added this. And it's actually, it is a bit annoying, because <clears throat> it's not technically the most one of the most watched shows of 2019, it's ex it was expected to be and it's on it's kind of expected to gain more views as the year goes on so it's it, it, it's the way they um the way they calculate this is is kind of wrong is it's not based on how many views it got within the year it's actually predicted views which is why they put it in the top 10 and honestly i think they just wanted to put it in the top 10 just to have it in the top 10 and um I mean, I've been watching it. I'm on the last episode now. I'm going to do a, a full review soon. But I'm going to be honest, I did enjoy it, but I, f I have been enjoying it. But it's I find it a hard slog to watch, watch this thing. And I will go into that next week. But um, the fact that uh, the Umbrella Academy in there is in there on merit, it, that that is there. But The, the Witcher being there, I, I personally, I don't think it should be. Because it is virtually impossible. It's impossible for it to be in the top 10 after only being out from what was it the 20 i can't remember when it came out it, it came out at the same time as um the 20th it was the 20th of december so 11 days it was out for in uh, 2019 how the hell could that get into the top 10 of the most watched things on netflix in um in 2019 i don't know that they, they 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 have uh, fudged the numbers, definitely. Anyway, moving away from that and uh, and on to Lucifer Season 5. And they have cast a god. Yes, God is going to be in Season 5 of Lucifer. And they've cast Dennis Haysbert, who's a British actor. He You might know him as the president in 24. And uh, he's replacing Neil Gaiman. So Neil Gaiman actually voiced God in, I think it was Season 3. He voiced him. And of course, Neil Gaiman is the man that created Lucifer, not actually the devil, but he created the uh, the comic book. He's the writer of the uh, DC Comics comic. And I'm actually kind of sad that they didn't go for Neil Gaiman. But again, he is not an actor. He does do voice work because he's got such a weird voice. 
He's a writer, though, and he wrote this, and Dennis Haysbert is an actor. He's um, a black actor, and he's very good, and he's British, so maybe they might keep him, you know, have him keep his actual accent, which you don't actually hear him do that often anymore. He's often American in the things he's in. Uh, but... Um, yeah, I think that's some very good casting. I'm really excited to see uh, Tom Ellis and uh, and Haysbert have some scenes together. I think that's going to be really good. And this uh, final season of Lucifer is, is eagerly uh, anticipated by a lot of people. And, uh, and I'm really excited to see it. Um, so I already spoke a bit about The Witcher before, but um, The Witcher's EP, uh, she is called Lauren... I can never pronounce her last name. But it, Lauren Schmidt... His, his, it's S H S no H I S S R I C H. So if you can pronounce that, please um, get in contact with me and tell me how to pronounce that name. But she's the EP and showrunner of of The Witcher, and she's actually revealed that she she before so a couple of weeks ago she said that she could do seven seasons of The Witcher, which is crazy talk because seasons don't get over four seasons on Netflix. You know, shows don't get over four seasons on Netflix. It's, it's unheard of. They get cancelled. Uh, basically season four hits and bam Netflix ends it I think the only show to get over four seasons Netflix original might have been Orange is the New Black I think I'm not I'm not entirely sure about that but anyway Lauren was talking to Collider and uh, she said um, I'm sure at some point that I said I could write seven seasons but I'm also sure that I said I could write 20 seasons I will continue writing this series as long as it makes sense to write this series that means taking organically from the books and allowing the story to flow, but then also allowing the story to end when it needs to end. So she's kind of making fun of herself. I mean, she said that she can write seven. She also said that she can write 20. I think she's going to end up probably... I I envisage about five seasons of The Witcher. I think it'll get over the four seasons hump. It'll have one last show, uh, one last season, then it'll come to an end. Anyway, moving away from The Witcher and on to uh, Firefly... Yes, there's been some Firefly news this week. Uh, apparently Fox has considered and is considering reviving the show. So um, Fox, president of uh, Fox Entertainment, he was uh, he was talking to... Do, 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 who was he talking to? Uh, president of yeah, Fox Entertainment, Michael Thorne, was talking to The Rap, sorry. And, uh, and he actually, he was asked whether they would ever consider bringing Firefly back. And he said, the macro answer is anytime we look at one of our classic titles, if there is a way to reinvent it for today, so it's as resonant now as the original was and is to the fans, we're wide open. <laughs> it's a very long-winded quote. He then went on to say how much he loved Firefly and he's watched every episode, but he didn't work on the show. And it had come up before, but then they had the Orville on air and it just didn't make sense to uh, to have Firefly on at the same time because they'd be too um, similar. If you haven't watched Firefly, it's Joss Whedon's show. It's brilliant. It was on air in 2002 and Fox really botched it. Basically, they, they aired it out of order and nobody really watched it. It starred Nathan Fillion um, and it's just, it's such a good show. I watch it, I think, every year I rewatch it. It's only one season because it got cancelled. Uh, then it was then they... They didn't get a revival series, but they did get a movie. And Joss Whedon made Serenity, which kind of rounded it off nicely, actually. And if you if you haven't watched it, I highly recommend it. I highly recommend you go and watch Firefly and then finish it off with Serenity. If you just watch Serenity without having watched Firefly, it will make no sense. So, you know, you have to do both. 
and more uh, TV news. Brooklyn Nine-Nine Season 7 gets a very Miami Vice-style new trailer. So Brooklyn Nine-Nine is coming back. Season 7 is coming back on February 6th. I'm very excited to see this. It's, uh, you know, one of my favorite shows. And this new trailer is perfect. It's done in a kind of grainy Miami Vice-type feel to it. And it sells the show perfectly. But then again, if you know about this show, if you've watched all the previous seasons, you're going to watch it anyway. So why am I even talking about it? I'm talking about it because I love the show. Final bit of TV news. Mark Hamill will cameo in What We Do in the Shadows Season 2. This was revealed by Jermaine Clement, who failed to say who he's going to be playing or what he's going to be playing in What We Do in the Shadows. Is he going to be a werewolf? Is he going to be a vampire? Is he just going to be a human? I think he's going to be a vampire. But anyway, this season is this show's great. Uh, season one was was really funny. Some of the episodes, I think three, were directed by Taika Waititi. If you haven't seen it, watch it. If you haven't seen the original movie, watch it. It's great. Anyway, moving away from uh, news and onto features. So I did. I'll just run through them quickly. But I did quite a few features on on the site this week. So um, I did one about Ricky Gervais's Golden Globe speech. Uh, so he did the opening monologue. He he actually hosted the show. And uh, you can watch the opening monologue. It's all over Twitter. It was really, really interesting. So he basically gave he gave Hollywood a massive telling off. And, um, and Hollywood, uh, if you just look at some of uh, Tom Hanks's reactions, they did not like it. They did not like being told off by Ricky Gervais. He he basically um, he said so. I'll, I'll I'll say some quotes that I can say on this. He said. You say you're woke, but the companies you work for, I mean, unbelievable. Apple, Amazon, Disney. If ISIS started a streaming service, you'd call your agent. And he's right. He, he, is, he is right. He also told them not to do political speeches, which they, you know, actors completely um, ignored. But that's fine. You know, I understand that. But he has got a mass... He did, he did point out some really um, big issues about actors and, and Hollywood produce people just working in Hollywood um, people that are earning a heck of a lot of money and telling other people how to live their lives and then working for couples like uh, companies sorry not couples <laughs> working for companies like Amazon Apple and Disney who have very questionable um, you know they, they they do things that um, that you should question and they're not perfect they're not squeaky clean and they do a lot of wrong in the world Yet, you know, actors are perfectly fine working for them and then telling people how to live their lives and how to be better people like them. You know, and it, 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 is, it stinks of, of hypocrisy. And that's what I loved about his speech. And I went into greater detail in the feature and you can read the feature. And um, I know a lot of people didn't like his speech. I know a lot of people thought he was, uh, you know, in quotation marks, a bit of a prick. Um, which yes, he is. That's his persona. That's what he's like. But um, honestly, his his speech it brought up some issues. I thought it was actually quite funny as well. Uh, other people didn't, but he's done this five times now, and I actually think this is the first time I've been really impressed by one of his opening opening monologues. It's less just him making fun of individuals and more him pointing out problems within the entertainment industry and I really do as I said in the article I really do think that was an important moment for the entertainment industry and it wasn't really I didn't I, I read a lot about it and it was in the media but I would have liked to have seen a bit more 
but you know you can't wish you know it's wishful thinking you can't have everything in it in life then i also did a feature about bafta and its nominations this year not a single female director nominated which is crazy in a year where we've have we've we've had little women which was uh, greta gerwig direct who directed that jennifer kent directed the nightingale you know, you had The Farewell, which was uh, directed by Lulu Wang. You know, some really incredible movies directed by female directors that weren't nominated. And it's a massive problem. It's a massive, massive problem. And and um, in the uh, article, I basically go over this. And I. the problem is it, it it's the membership. Because, you know, in order to be... Um, it's the members that who, who, who vote for the nominees. So if you're in charge of BAFTA... Unfortunately, you don't, your, your hands are tied because you're not the one um, deciding who's going to be nominated or not. You, you, you're putting out, um, you know, potential nominees and people are voting on them. And it, it's the membership that's got to be changed. And, um, you know, you often think of BAFTA as being slightly above, the, I suppose, the rest. And But no, it's been, it's actually, if you look at its, um, nom, you know, its voting history and the nominations in the past, it's actually one of the worst. So it's got to change, and it's got to change soon. And um, it's even been, you know, it was even noted or spoken about by uh, BAFTA's boss, Amanda Berry, and she claimed that she was very disappointed by it. And it is something that is very disappointing, and uh, and I think it should be rectified as soon as possible. Uh, another feature I did on the, on the site was uh, about the Oscars, and they're not having a host again this year. This is the second year running that they're not going to gonna have a hostless Oscars. And uh, and I think that's a great thing. So last year they were actually it was the Oscars were, were originally going to be hosted by Kevin Hart, who of course was fired due to some rather suspect, questionable uh, stand-up material and some very stupid tweets that he failed to apologise for, basically. And um, you know it's something that needs to be looked at, of course, and it was. And anyway, he was sacked. And uh, and then this year they decided to um, not have anybody host it again for the second year running, and I think this is a really good thing because the reason you know you don't watch a three hour long show because of the host. Uh, often the host delivers a very cringeworthy opening monologue, and the Oscars are never they're never going to hire somebody like Ricky Gervais to to host uh, because you know that's not what they want. They want their show to go smoothly. They want it to go without any uh, <laughs> moonlight La La Land moments. And they want like a clean cut host to do it. And it's always boring whenever they do this. But when they don't do it, when they have no host, then it just becomes about the movies. And and that's what I love. That's why I love the Oscars. I've watched them. I've watched a lot of them. And, you know, I've had to for professional reasons, but I also enjoy doing it for personal ones because... I actually do care about who wins and I do care who's who's nominated and I do want to hear what these people have to say. And uh, and I think it's much much better without a host. And uh, and yay, you know, no no host second year running. That's a good thing. Um final feature which is on the site now is um I basically I got a lot of flack for this, but I, I wrote a feature about how Joker isn't going to win uh, the best picture Oscar this year. And honestly, uh, a lot of people got very annoyed about this because they're like, how do you know, blah, 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 blah. Basically, what I did was um, I looked at uh, previous winners and the types of movies they were. And I also looked at the betting odds, which, yes, I know a lot of people said that's a load of rubbish, but actually they tend to be right. So as as far as like um, I looked at Skybet, I looked at Ladbrokes, you know, all these betting sites in the UK. And uh, and all their favorites was uh, Sam Mendes' 1917. 
uh, Skybet actually had them at seven to four on to win, which is quite you know they're quite a lot. F- it's, it's you know it's <laughs> it's basically the you know the the runaway favourite this year. I think uh, it was then. Uh, Followed up by the likes of, I think it was The Irishman, Marriage Story, Jojo Rabbit, Le Mans uh, 66, which is called Ferrari, Ford versus Ferrari in the US, and Little Women. You know, that's that, that's. Uh, I think the nominees will be that. I think it'll be uh, 1917, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Parasite, which is, yeah, Parasite was the fourth favourite. Uh, Joker, The Irishman, Marriage Story, Jojo Rabbit, Le Mans 66, and Little Women. I think that those will be the nine nominees. They might have a, a tenth one in there because they can. Maybe A Beautiful Day in the Neighbourhood or even Ad Astra. Maybe even Avengers Endgame. Who knows? But um, I think those nine films will be the, the nine main nominees if they go for the full ten. It depends. It's, it's on Monday, so it's coming out Monday, so we'll know then. Right, so... Uh, I'll do. I'll finish. Well, no, not really finish. I've got lists to go through next. So I did do my best and worst films of the year on the last pod, but actually since then, I uh, watched a load of other movies, and I um, I came up with a, a new list and I put it up on the site. So I'll just go through them quickly. So this is Small Screen's official um, best of 2019, best movies of 2019 list. So coming in at number 10, we have Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which is a film I love. I mean, I love all these movies. So number nine, Avengers Endgame by Joe and Anthony Russo. Number eight, Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker by J.J. Abrams. Yes, it's in my top 10. I really did enjoy it. Number seven, Motherless Brooklyn by Edward Norton. Number six, John Wick Chapter 3 Parabellum by Chaz... (laughs) I can't say his last name. Tedeschi, I think. I don't know. Number five, Pain and Glory by Pedro Aldomovar. Number four, Us, Jordan Peele. A lot of people have forgotten about that movie, but I loved it. Uh, Number three, Monos by Alejandro Landes. Number two, Jennifer Jennifer Kent's The Nightingale. And in number one, Knives Out by Ryan Johnson. So there are some movies that you wouldn't have heard in there. Joker wasn't in there. I did love Joker. It would have been in my top 15. Aladdin. Yes, I really enjoyed Aladdin. That would have also been in my top 15. Blinded by the Light, which I loved. Uh, Mrs. Lowry and Son, which I also loved. Le Mans 66 and Ad Astra. They're the films that I w- that would have got into my top 15 had I decided to do a top 15, but I didn't. I decided to um, kind of, yes, make it difficult on myself and only come up with 10. So now on to the worst films of 2019. I did this in the last episode as well, but I'll just go over them again. So coming in at number 10, Detective Pikachu by Rob Letterman. Number nine, Doctor Sleep by Mike Flanagan. I really did not like this movie. But again, that's why it's in this list. Number eight, Glass by M. Night Shyamalan. Number seven, Yesterday by Danny Boyle. Had a big conversation with some people about this film that who actually loved this movie. I did not like it at all. Number six, Let It Snow by Luke Snellen. Snellen, (laughs) sorry. Number five, The Lion King by Jon Favreau. Number four, Godzilla, King of the Monsters by Michael Doherty. Number three, It Chapter Two, Andy Muschietti. I've spoken at length about how I don't like that film. Number six, uh, number two, sorry, Six Underground by Michael Bay. That is an awful, awful, awful movie on Netflix right now if you want to watch it. Also on Netflix, Hellboy by Neil Marshall, although I don't think this is Neil Marshall's film. I really don't. I think it was uh, heavily, heavily edited in post and uh, he did not do any press for the movie. And... 
moving on to the 10 best TV shows of 2019, according to Small Screen. So um, I will say, you know, as I, with all these lists, it's impossible, impossible to watch every single TV show in one year. It's just too much. So this year, um, there are, I will, before I reveal my top 10, I will say in advance that I did not get to watch Chernobyl, Succession, Big Little Lies, Unbelievable, and of course, Fleabag. And if I had watched all those the TV shows, I'm pretty sure they would have all been in my top 10. Anyway, going through the top 10. So in at number 10, The Witcher Season 1. Number 9, Russian Doll Season 1. Number 8, The Mandalorian Season 1. <laughs> number 7, Casa de Papel, Money Heist in the UK Season 3. Number 6, The Good Place Season 4. Number 5, Stranger Things Season 3. Number 4, Last Week Tonight with John Oliver Season 6. Number 3, Jack Ryan Season 2. Number 2, Mindhunter Season 2. And number 1, Watchmen Season 1. I also wanted to give out some honourable mentions to Killing Eve Season 2 and Rick and Morty Season 4, which are both fantastic and worth watching. And I've got some other lists for you. I've got the 10, um, sorry, the 10 Netflix original shows which you should be excited to watch in 2020. So this is looking on into this year. And there are lots of shows coming out on uh, Netflix in 2020, and these, but these are specifically Netflix original shows, which I think you should all watch. So number 10, we have Lock and Key. Number 9, Space Force, which is uh, Steve Carell coming back. Uh, number 8 is uh, Jupiter's Legacy, which is the beginning of Miller World, which is very exciting. Number 7, Selena the Series. Number 8, The Haunting of Bly Manor, which is the uh, sequel, well, kind of season 2 of Haunting of Hill House. Number five, Cursed, which looks really interesting. Number four, Bojack Horseman, season six, which everybody loves Bojack Horseman. Number three, Ratchet, which is really, really fascinating. Got Sarah Paulson playing Nurse Ratchet from uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Number two, Big Mouth, season four. And number one, Sex Education, season two. So these are the shows that I think you should be watching in uh, Netflix shows you should be watching in 2020. Uh, moving away from TV and on to movies. So these are the 20 most anticipated films, small screens, 20 most anticipated movies of 2020. There are a lot coming out this year, but these are, <laughs> I kind of managed to narrow it down to just 20. So in 20, we have, have uh, Halloween Kills. In 19, Soul, which is Pixar's, uh, one, of, one, of, one of Pixar's two movies to come out this year. Number 18, we have Steven Spielberg's West Side Story. Number 17, In the Heights, which is Lin-Manuel Miranda's... Um, it's interesting, got two, two rather similar... It's not really similar, but films coming out in, 20, in 2020. Got, you know, West Side Story and In the Heights. In the Heights is a more... Is, is kind of set in the present day, and they're both, uh, they're both musicals. Number 16, Candyman, which has uh, Jordan Peele working on it, which I'm really excited to see. Number 15, The Personal History of David Copperfield. Number 14, Birds of Prey. 13, Mulan. 12, Onward, which is Pixar's other film coming out in 2020. Number 11, Black Widow. Number 10, Top Gun Maverick. Number 9, Ghostbusters Afterlife. Number 8, A Quiet Place Part 2. Number 7, Wonder Woman 1984. Number 6, we have Last Night in Soho, which is Edgar Wright's next film. Number 5, The King's Man. Number four, James Bond's No Time to Die. Number three, Marvel's Eternals. Number two, Dune, and that's Denis Villeneuve's Dune. And number one, Christopher Nolan's Tenet. That is a very good list of movies to be looking out for. So I'll end 
this week's rather long show with some reviews or maybe more recommendations for what to watch this week. There are a lot of movies out at the moment, but there are two films in particular that I think you should all check out if you can, and that's Taika Waititi's Jojo Rabbit and Sam Mendes' 1917. These two films will be in contention for Oscars this uh, award season. I'm pretty sure they will be. And they're both brilliant. If you have the time to watch them, please, please do. I would recommend Jojo Rabbit over 1917, but if you can see them both, then just do it (laughs) if you've got the time. And there you have it. That's the end. That was a lot to get through. So as usual, I merely scratched the surface of all the news and stuff that went on in the world of pop culture this week. So please go on and check out Small Screen, which is at www.small-screen.co.uk for even more pop culture news, features and reviews. Also lists we do on there. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at Small Screen GB. Thank you so much for listening and uh, I'll see you back here next time, same week. Uh, no, same same time next week. Sorry, <laughs> it's been a long show. And uh, Happy New Year. Uh, have lots of fun in 2020 and watch as many movies and TV shows as you can. Thank you. Goodbye. <laughs>